if it was a promise to never have a local flood again, then God's broken his promise over and over and over. No, God promised to not destroy the entire world with a flood. That's what the rainbow means. Welcome to In Grace with Jim Scudder, Jr. He is the senior pastor of Quentin Road Baptist Church in Lake Zurich, Illinois, and the president of Dayspring Bible College in Mundelein, Illinois. This is Jim Scudder. You're listening to In Grace, and today we're going to talk more about what was the world like when Noah got off the ark. We're also going to talk about the ark and what would have you know, been some of the details of the ark, lighting and uh, waste disposal and how do you water and feed all these animals. So we're going to talk through a lot of these really important topics as we're in a series called, Is the Old Testament Obsolete? And the answer, of course, is no. We need to know what the Bible says. And we'll be in Genesis chapter 8 today talking about the waters receding and how that matches up with the formation of these huge canyons through sedimentary layers like the Grand Canyon. We're also going to be playing a clip today from our Alaska in Grace cruise with my friend Bruce Malone, and we're going to talk about some of the details of what would have happened after the uh, flood of Noah. And as I mentioned in today's opening quote, uh, I believe Christians need to take back the rainbow, and I'll be preaching a message about that down the road as we continue the series after a little bit of a break. People say, well, how would they have enough water? How would they have enough food? Remember, there would have been lots of room on the ark for all the animals and plenty of food. They would have had all plenty of time to stock it all up to make sure it was ready to go. Uh, what about ventilation? What about lighting? You know, it's, it's probably not a smart thing to have lanterns on the ark, right? What do they do with the waste? Well, remember, these were very intelligent people. I say this. I think the ancients were much smarter than we are. I mean, they built the pyramids without cranes and hydraulic. We, we couldn't even do what they do today, even with our modern technology and equipment. Brilliant people. I think they had systems. They had pulleys. They had ways of feeding the animals from central points, watering the animals. And, and the waste, maybe if you, if you wanted to, you have the waste fall down into a trough and you put insects or worms that could decompose, uh, compost some of that material. And uh, ventilation would have been that upper window on the ark. I think they had all that covered, Okay. But uh, some people have done a lot of research on that, and I'm very satisfied that they would have had all that figured out. But I'm sure they were very anxious to get off the ark. Months and months of this. And now the ark is on a ground. They don't know exactly where they are. They don't know what's going on because they can't see out. But uh, this, is, this is the way the story continues. Genesis 8.5. And the waters decrease continually until the 10th month, in the 10th month, on the first day of the month, were the tops of the mountains seen. You see how exact the Bible is in the recounting of this story? Now, we're going to talk about the different stories of different civilizations that all contain a similar story, but the Bible has the most information, all the details in it. And that's what I love about uh, our Bibles is that God uh, has everything in there. So we have the, the first day of the month, of the 10th month, the tops of the mountains now can be seen. So that's been about, what, seven and a half months. Uh, they've, they've stopped floating, but they, it's been another uh, few months before they've seen other mountaintops. Now some of the mountaintops are being seen. Verse 6 of Genesis 8, And it came to pass at the end of 40 days that Noah opened the window and the ark which he had made. And I believe that this upper window would have been a long 
a series of windows, or maybe one, you could call it one long window, and again, helping with the ventilation and maybe some of the light. But they would have had coverings over that to keep the water out, and now Noah opened the window. And certainly that must have been wonderful to stand there and to be able to breathe in and to look out. But maybe it was also terrible, because what would the world have looked like? It must have just been devastation that they were seeing. He sent forth a raven. Okay, so now Noah is sending out a series of birds to find out uh, what the situation is out there. They can't really see that well. They can't tell what's exactly happening. And this raven went forth to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth. He sent, So the raven had come back. He also sent forth a dove to see if the waters were abated from off the face of the ground. But the dove found no rest for the sole of her foot, and she returned unto him into the ark, for the waters were on the face of the whole earth. Then he put forth his hand and took her and pulled her unto him into the ark. And he stayed yet another seven days, and again he sent forth the dove out of the ark. Now this is really cool. Anytime you see the dove as a sign of peace, the dove in the olive branch, where did that come from? It came from right here. Is the Old Testament obsolete? No. Even the world recognizes this story from Genesis. The dove came into him in the evening, and lo, in her mouth was an olive leaf plucked off. So now you say, okay, how could there be an olive leaf after everything's destroyed? Okay, well, remember how resilient the nature that God has created would be. Uh, you have a new volcanic island that comes up out of the ocean, and eventually it's fully uh, covered with plants and, and birds and stuff. How do they get there? Well, some float in on these, these rafts. Some fly in. Uh, how, do the, how do the trees and bushes get planted up on the mountain? Well, you'll watch the birds fly up there, and birds do what they do and plant seeds, if you know what I'm trying to say. Fish uh, will be, there's a brand new lake, like these Dead Sea sinkholes. There's no fish in them. Well, now there's fish. How do they get there? Well, these birds fly in with maybe fish eggs stuck to their feet. They land, and now that has, uh, it has fish populating. It's really incredible. So an olive tree would take about uh, maybe a few weeks to a month to, to get a few inches enough to develop a leaf. There was enough time after they had landed as the water was coming down for eventually the, the dove to go find that little leaf, a sign of life, a sign of that the earth is returning to the way it was and bring it back. And Noah knew that the waters were abated from off the earth. What an episode this had to be. And he stayed yet another seven days and sent forth the dove, which returned not again unto him anymore. So now he knows that it's, it's close, but he's still waiting on God. Now, over a year later, okay, it came to pass in the 600th and first year, this is, remember, he was 600 when he entered the ark. In the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried up from off the earth. So not only was the water receding, the waterlogged earth was now dry enough to support the animals and the humans. Then Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. In the second month, on the seventh and twentieth day of the month, so now we're talking over a year has passed, the earth was dried. How would you like to stay on that ship for over a year? I'm sure they were really anxious to get off that thing. Uh, even after a week on a ship, you're kind of ready to get off and kind of ready to go, uh, to go home. Now, some people get on these cruises and they go around the, the, whole, 
the whole world. So after a year, now they're there, and the earth was dried. Go forth of the ark, thou and thy wife and thy sons and thy sons' wives with thee. It's time to get off. Bring forth with thee every living thing that is with thee, all flesh, both of fowl and of cattle and of every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth, that they may breed abundantly in the earth and be fruitful and multiply upon the earth. This was God's command to these animals. Hey, I'm sure he brought the two pairs, the two kinds that would have been very uh, fruitful and they had as much genetic information that God originally put within them. From those two kinds came all sorts of variations within a kind or different species within a kind. So you have woolly mammoths, you have elephants, you have all these really incredible variations within that kind. And they were to go out and multiply. And Noah went forth and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. And now they are off the ark. What would the world have looked like? What would it have been like to come off the ark? Every beast, every creeping thing, and every fowl, whatsoever creepeth upon the earth after their kinds went forth out of the ark. We wouldn't know any of this, folks, without the Old Testament, without the book of Genesis. We wouldn't know about creation. We wouldn't know about marriage. We wouldn't know about clothes. We wouldn't know about all these things, the wickedness on the earth. Why are all these layers of fossils? You go to the Grand Canyon, and you can just look out at, at all these different layers full of fossils. And we wouldn't know how all that happened, but now we know. The Bible tells us. The person that was there gives us an accurate recorded history of that. And if people mock you for that, just tell them about the evidence. Tell them about the evidence. And uh, you have the evidence on your side. Okay, so what about the aftermath of the flood? Well, remember, you would have had volcanoes, a lot more volcanoes. You would have had uh, uh, more temperate climates around the planet because you had all this warm ocean water. Right now, the ocean water in the northern hemisphere and the southern hemisphere are cooler because they're further from the equator where the sun is warming up the water. But back then, all the water on the whole world was warm. So you have some tropical vegetation growing in the northern regions, and that's what you actually find. In the stomachs of these mammoths and other creatures, you're finding tropical-style grass in these northern regions. It all fits with what the Bible says. Uh, you have a lot of rain. You have a lot of snow. So as the world starts to cool down, and this would have been over 100 or 200 years, you have the northern sections that are cooling down, and the water's cooling down, is still evaporating and going overland and dropping as snow and piling up and piling up and piling up. Well, what does that make? That makes an ice age. One ice age, not a series over millions of years, but one massive ice age with some ebb and flow within the ice age that all of this happened. Uh, four years ago, we did an in-grace cruise. I brought along Bruce Malone, who's a great creation speaker. And we did this again just this summer. And I'm gonna show you a clip from our first cruise and Bruce explains the, uh, the way that glaciers form. We talk a little bit about some of these glaciers that we're looking at as we go into these fjords. Now, the glaciers are also really interesting as we come up into these places, but there was a time in which there was an ice age, and, and creation in the Bible wouldn't deny that. It actually would explain the ice age. Some people are confused by the ice age. They hear constantly there have been dozens of ice ages over hundreds of thousands or millions of years. Now that's all misinterpretation that leaves out what God has told us. God spent more time talking about this world restructuring flood than the creation of the entire universe in the so book of Genesis. The flood helps us understand 
a lot of ice would have been the, on this The ice planet. age is a guaranteed consequence of this flood event. See, the flood wasn't just a bunch of water and then it ran off the land. It lasted an entire year. During the flood, the fountains of the Great Deep broke forth. That was not just water subterraneanly coming up, but enormous amounts of fluid rock, lava, pouring out, creating a large part of Africa, Australia, the Pacific Northwest, Oregon, Washington. The continents themselves, huge plates of rock, mm -hmm. were moving during this flood. India slamming up into Europe. You look at these surrounding cliffs, those are granite. Those did not exist before the flood. That is Thrust. foundational rock Thrust that was up. shoved upward as continental plates slammed together, forming the Rockies, the Indias. And the continental plates are still moving. Slowly, they are, of slowly. Course, but that's what causes earthquakes. But that's an assumption that because they're moving slowly, they always people move. who leave the Bible out say they were always moving that slowly. Right. That, that's not a fact of science, right. that's an assumption. Ice Age can be explained by a flood, and that's actually the only way we can understand well, it. It's not just explained by the flood, it is guaranteed consequence of okay. not just a flood, but an entire globe covering flood. You see, all this volcanism, all this land movement, it would have heated up the entire oceans of the world. The amount of water wasn't necessarily from above as much as from the fountain the of the Great Deep. heaving up of the ocean bottoms, and the enormous subterranean warm water, water rushing up out. As well. Warm water, volcanism, friction. land movement, friction. Mm -hmm. It's heating up the ocean. We don't know, but the Arctic Ocean, the Indian Ocean, they may have been 70, 80 degrees Fahrenheit by the time this was all over. Now, that is so much water and so much heat the weather patterns of the world are driven by ocean water temperature. That caused massive amounts of evaporation, massive cloud cover worldwide, meaning more of the sun's heat is reflected away, um, and that evaporated water would have come down as snow in the northern latitudes. So now, the, how thick was the ice? Many experts believe the entire oceans of the world lowered in the range of two to 300 feet during the ice age. That's how much water was evaporated. Now that comes down as snow. It takes about 10 inches of snow that compacts to form one inch of ice. It's believed ice sheets covering Canada, this area of Alaska, they were as much as two miles deep. Now that's trillions of pounds of ice. And when that weight shoves those ice sheets forward, fill up existing valleys between mountains that had been shoved up in the later stages of the flood, forming glaciers that moved forward, digging out enormous valleys, which we call fjords, shoving itself forward, grinding up the rocks, creating a powder. But it did not take tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of years. The ice age literally started immediately following the flood, lots of evaporation coming down as snow in the north, building up as ice sheets in the north. And that's what caused the glaciers that formed these sort of valleys. The past was very different than today. Mm -hmm. And when we leave the Bible out of our thinking, we misinterpret the past. Embark on a journey to explore the inspiring story of the Exodus within grace. Call now for your free Exodus map, 800-78-GRACE. This map depicts the route of the Israelites during their escape from Egypt. When you give $35 or more, you'll receive the Exodus map and our brand new video series, Exodus Found, where Jim Scudder Jr. retraces the Exodus in Egypt and Saudi Arabia, diving into the Red Sea to uncover evidence of the miraculous crossing. For those giving $250 or more, you will get the complete Exodus package, 
The map, the video series, and a beautiful, exclusive 16 by 20 canvas print showcasing the miraculous Red Sea crossing. And from now until the end of the year, a generous donor will be doubling all gifts. To get these limited-time exclusive materials, call 800-78-GRACE or visit ingraceradio.com or write to InGrace, P.O. Box 9, Lake Zurich, Illinois, 60047. So let's end with 2 Peter. Remember I told you that Peter referred to the, the ark and Noah and the flood a lot? He says this in verse 6 of chapter 3. Whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water. This wasn't a local flood, friends. If you believe that the Bible is God's word without error, you cannot say it was a local flood. There's a lot of Christians that say it was. How do we know it wasn't? Well, because of this. By the way, if it was a local flood, why bring all the animals onto the ark? Why not just send the animals away from the local flood? See how silly it is? Friends, the scholars and the scientists that believe the Bible are the ones that are right and the ones that have the evidence. And if you look at just the evidence without the lens of your presuppositions, you're going to actually find it lines up perfectly with the Bible, a lot better than it does with millions of years of slow processes and chance. And then it says in verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward. Now, friends, don't mistake God's long-suffering with the, the thought that he's never going to judge. No, he's long-suffering. He's patient. He's giving you a chance. He's waiting. He's, he's allowing you to, to find gr his grace. And in the flood story, we find grace. Where? The ark. They get off the ark. They can repopulate. God's grace is evidence. The, the next thing we're going to learn about is this rainbow that has been hijacked by our wicked society, but it's a promise of God to never flood the whole world. By the way, if it was a local flood, hasn't the world been having local floods for centuries now? We've had local floods everywhere. In the, even in the Philippines, there's a local flood. So is that if it was a promise to never have a local flood again? then God's broken his promise over and over and over. No, God promised to not destroy the entire world with a flood. That's what the rainbow means. But he is long-suffering. There is grace. The ark, the door is open. But you have to respond by faith to say, I believe that Jesus is God. He died for me on the cross. He rose again. I trust in him. And then you'll be safe from this coming storm that's coming upon the earth. And then verse 9 continues, not willing that any should perish. This is our great God. He's merciful. He's gracious. You know, he just destroyed the whole world. He destroyed a world of wicked and violent people. Okay, he saved eight that weren't. Okay, but he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, a change of mind to who he is and what he's done. And then in verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come, folks. Listen, it will come as a thief in the night. Thieves don't come in the daytime. Thieves come at night when you're not expecting them. In the which the heavens shall pass away with great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, and the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Let me just end by saying this. There are a lot of people that put a lot of time and emphasis into making money. And I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm not saying being a person of business is wrong. And if God is blessing you and you're working hard and you're using what God has given you for good and for the Lord, that's good. But to ever think that that's the most important thing, business is the most important thing, it's, it's better than ministry, that's crazy, okay? Why? Because 
everything that you do, any accomplishment that you make, any amount of money that you earn will be burnt up. It's going to be destroyed. Every house that you build, every car that you have, everything is going to be gone. What will last? Those things that you do for Jesus Christ. Serving the Lord is the most important thing we can do. And I hope that we all have that heart and that, that passion to do that. And uh, there is a day of reckoning. The whole world will be burned up. But uh, today, there is a day of salvation. There is a, an opportunity for you to be saved uh, from hell to heaven. And the Bible says that we're all sinners, that we've, we've messed up, we've rebelled. It happened in the garden with Adam and Eve, sin entered the world. We all have sin. Jesus came. He had no sin. He died for our sin on a cross. He was raised the third day, and he wants to save you if you'll just believe in him, trust in him. Not about what you do. It's not about reforming your life or getting more religious or getting better. It's about you believing that he is the son of God who died on a cross and rose again. And you trust in that. You believe in him. You're saved. And then you don't ever have to worry about destruction. You don't ever have to worry about being separated from God. It's God that loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that anyone whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's the great news of the gospel. The door is open. God is not willing that any should perish. If you have questions about eternal life, call us 1-800-78-GRACE or go to our website, ingraceradio.com. Now, let me also remind you that we have a free gift for you. I am so thankful for you listening to In Grace. It means a lot to me. And if you know In Grace has done these adventures and we go overseas and we film and record shows for you in Egypt and Israel and Saudi Arabia. Well, we have a new series called Exodus Found. You can watch it anytime on YouTube or you could listen to part two of this series on Friday. But we think you need to get a map. It's a free map that shows you the detail of the route, the actual real route of the Exodus. Where did they cross the Red Sea? Was it a deep body of water or a shallow lake? Where is Mount Sinai? All of this is on the map. And this is my way of saying thank you for listening. And this will help you understand the route of the Exodus as found in the book of Exodus. Now, for those of you that can support in grace, pay it forward, make sure more people hear the gospel. Let me thank you by sending you not only the map, if your gift is $35 or more, I'm gonna also send you the four-part full-length video series, Exodus Found. When we went to Egypt and filmed there and went diving in what I believe is the actual Red Sea, the crossing point, the Gulf of Aqaba, we take you to the real Mount Sinai, which I believe is in Saudi Arabia. This series is incredible to experience all of these things. I think you'll be so blessed when you get this full-length video series, Exodus Found. And again, that's for a gift of $35 or more. And something else that's really exciting right now we have a matching gift campaign going on from now to the end of the year. So if you give $35, that's actually $70 that will go toward gospel ministry, media, broadcasting, proclaiming the truth of God's word and the gospel. And you're going to get the video series and the map. Now, some of you say, hey, I really wanna do something more. I wanna give a large gift. So here's what we're gonna do. For your gift of $250 or more, we're gonna send you the map and the video series. We're also gonna send you, this is exciting, a beautiful canvas print of the parting of the Red Sea. And, and I can only imagine what that would have looked like and you've probably seen it on the Ten Commandments, what they thought it looked like. But we have an artist here in the church, and she 
digitally reproduced the the parting of the water, and it's beautiful. It's at a sunrise. You can actually see the shadow of sea creatures and the walls of water, and there's Moses and the people of God praising God because now they're, they have a route out of this dilemma that they were in. I would love to send this to you as a thank you for your generosity, and your gift is doubled. So let me send you the canvas print, the full four-part video series and the map, and I'd love to hear from you today. Call now for your free Exodus map, 800-78-GRACE. When you give $35 or more, you'll receive the Exodus map and the video series Exodus Found. For gifts of $250 or more, you will also receive a beautiful, exclusive 16 by 20 canvas print showcasing the miraculous Red Sea crossing. Also, a generous donor is matching all gifts until the new year. Call 800-78-GRACE. Visit ingraceradio.com or write to InGrace, P.O. Box 9. Lake Zurich, Illinois, 60047. Thank you for joining us on In Grace Radio with Jim Scudder Jr. In Grace is a member of the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability. Our goal is to share the light of Jesus to a darkening world, helping you find hope, gain purpose, and be a light. You can be that light today by joining our mission to spread the gospel around the world. Just call us, 800-78-GRACE, or go online, ingraceradio.com. You can also write to us at InGrace, P.O. Box 9, Lake Zurich, Illinois, 60047. Tune in tomorrow as we continue to explore God's Word and His world on InGrace Radio. Radio.